Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Hey everybody, welcome to CDR Radio. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I'm the senior staff writer for the magazine. And for this episode, I will be your host. This episode of CDR Radio is sponsored by Davy Shipbuilding, a company who is proudly delivering world-class specialized ships to the Canadian Navy and Coast Guard under the National Shipbuilding Strategy. So please visit them at davy.ca. So now that we have that point of business done, I would like to introduce my guest for today's episode, and that is Vice Admiral Craig Baines, who is commander of the Royal Canadian Navy. Admiral Baines, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks so much. It's a a real pleasure to, to be here. Admiral, this is an exciting time for the Navy. You guys have just commissioned some new ships, which is the first time in some 20 odd years. How did that feel? Uh, well, to be honest, it was absolutely terrific. Um, having been a fleet commander and a formation commander, when we had to decommission ships, it was nice to uh, rebalance the ledger by commissioning uh, Harry DeWolf. And uh, while not commissioned yet, we just took uh, delivery of uh, Margaret Brook uh, last week on 15 July. So absolutely terrific to have those two Arctic offshore patrol ships uh in the Navy's hands. And uh, in fact, we're getting ready for Harry DeWolf's uh, first uh, uh, deployment this summer into the Arctic, where she will uh, end up uh, sailing through the Northwest Passage. And uh, and in fact, she will circumnavigate uh, North America as part of that deployment. So we're really excited for that opportunity for us to you know, express our sovereignty in the North with this new capability. Talk to me, Admiral, about the capability that the AOPS brings to the fleet. The name denotes Arctic. Uh, You just mentioned that it's going to be circumnavigating the continent here. What will these ships bring to the capabilities of the Royal Canadian Navy writ large? As you accurately pointed out, you know, having Arctic in its name, because it's going to have this uh, medium first year ice capability, it's going to allow us to operate in a very important uh, part of Canada on the shoulder seasons where, you know, we can be there first and we can be there last if required to make sure that Canada's interests are being observed uh, in the Arctic. And the second part of the name offshore also brings uh, or also indicates, I think, a lot of additional capability that will come with the AOPS, which would include uh, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, being able to do search and rescue, being able to uh, take uh, part in uh, missions such as Op Carib, where we're doing, you know, counter drug operations as part of the Joint uh, Interagency Task Force South. So Harry DeWolf actually brings uh, a tremendous capability, including the ability to embark uh, a helicopter when required and other systems that we can um, use from a containerized perspective. So really versatile platform. You know, we can actually run with a fairly small crew, about 65 people. And so we're really looking forward to using that capability in, in a lot of different domains. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned the crew complement size because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the addition of the AOPS ships into the Canadian Navy fleet, as it stands right now, is going to be a net addition of crews or, uh, I guess, sailors that will be on ships. I know that we 
we're kind of down with the fact that we don't have destroyers or any AORs at the moment. So do you have the personnel to staff these ships as they come online? Well, you bring up a really great point. There is no question that the Navy is uh, short of personnel. We're trending at about a thousand people short right now. But also, as you've accurately pointed out, given that we decommissioned five ships over the last while, including the three air defense uh, platforms and the two tankers, we've been able to manage that shortage over time. And I would, I would suggest to you that as we bring on the Harry to Wolf class, um, we are managing our sailors at an individual level and monitoring their ops tempo to make sure that we can manage the different requirements of the frigates, the Harry to Wolf, and the maritime coastal defense vessels, along with, of course, our submarines. But you're right, the addition of the um, Arctic offshore patrol ship crews would be a, a net increase overall, which if we were full up with, you know, 15 surface combatants and two JSS and, you know, an equivalent of 12 MCDVs, you know, it would be a concern. But at this point in time, as we, you know, transition to the future, we're able to manage it. But I will tell you that we're about to embark on a new project called Project Navy Generation, which is designed to put people to the people problem so that we can, over the next decade, recover so that as we transition to the Canadian service combatant, bring in new joint support ships, bring in the rest of the Arctic offshore patrol ships, that we're, we're doing that in a very um, manageable way. Interesting. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about that project, uh, Admiral. What exactly will that entail? Yeah, so Project Navy Generation is designed to basically put people, take them from other work and put them onto this task where we will look at the Navy's force generation, you know, problem, if I could call it that, from attracting sailors through recruitment and basic training all the way into their trades training, all the way through to retention and retirement uh, so that we can have a holistic view of our sailors Understanding that there's other organizations that are implicated, like the chief of military personnel, who obviously oversee our the Canadian Armed Forces recruiting process, but we are going to help ourselves. And, and as an example, through COVID, we've been doing something called distributed basic uh, military qualification courses, where I've actually been taking Navy sailors to teach brand new Navy recruits their basic training so that we can get them into our training system faster. And that's something that we were doing with COVID. But as an example, we were going to continue to do going forward to try and address these uh, personnel shortages. Well, that's a really interesting initiative. And I hope that it will prove to be successful. I think obviously being down a thousand sailors is not a trivial number. And in that perspective, how are you going to up the recruitment side of things? Is that a Navy specific effort or is that kind of a larger CAF effort? Well, in fact, uh, the acting chief of defense staff has recently come out with his own directive on um, uh, going after uh, reconstituting the Canadian Armed Forces writ large, given the shortages that we've uh, that we face, uh, some of which is to do with COVID and you know our ability to recruit and train during that uh, during the pandemic. But obviously, more broadly, getting to the number of uh, sailors, soldiers, and aviators that we need in the Canadian Armed Forces. So I'd say Project Navy Generation is really kind of a Navy piece that will feed into that broader Canadian Armed Forces effort. But recruitment, you know, generally speaking, does come under the Chief of Military Personnel. But in the Navy, we we have this incredible resource in our Naval Reserve units where we do our own uh, reserve recruitments. And part of Project Navy Generation will be to leverage that capability to support 
the chief of military personnel in recruiting not only reserve force sailors, but regular force sailors as well, where we're going to try and take some of the load and do more case management so that, again, we can help us help ourselves and help them. And uh, I just couldn't be happier with uh, the coordination between the two uh, commands to try and get after uh, this recruiting issue. You actually spoke to, you just mentioned COVID, and COVID has been such a major issue in all of our lives over the past year and a half. Talk to me about the challenges COVID poses to the Navy specifically, and how you guys have overcome those challenges. Because from what I gather, the Navy has been pretty good in terms of keeping COVID numbers low and still being able to deploy ships on operations. Yeah, thanks so much. I think it really has been a really terrific success story where I would say through a combination of uh, learning from our allies experience, but more specifically dealing with our own Canadian Armed Forces uh, Health Services Group in really looking at the data, looking at the, you know, uh, not to get too technical, but the point prevalence in in places like Halifax and Esquimalt uh, to make some really informed decisions around how to tackle things like pre-deployment isolation, how do we roll out uh, and change our processes as our sailors became vaccinated? What if we had an outbreak in a ship? And managing all of the logistics around, you know, supporting sailors in the if they needed to isolate away from home because either they had, you know, uh, vectors that that could infect them uh, through their family lives or others. And so I've just been really impressed with uh, the medical group's ability to really look at that data and work with our operational commanders so that we were able to maintain our operational footprint overseas. And, and I'd say probably the best example of that was that we there was absolutely no break in us sending our frigates into Operation Reassurance um, as part of our NATO uh, assurance commitment. And so it was just terrific to see the crews work through those challenges, which sometimes meant being away from their family a bit longer than uh, normal. But the resilience that they showed, the flexibility, their willingness to be innovative, and then, you know, getting such a high uptake in vaccines was just uh, was terrific as well. And then I suppose, you know, to tie it all up together, just recently Halifax has returned and as you may know or not, um, we had two cases of COVID based on, we think, their last uh, port visit. But due to, you know, almost the entire crew being vaccinated, they were asymptomatic. Through our testing protocols, we were able to find out that uh, they did have COVID and we were able to isolate them without having any greater impact. So, yeah, I, I know that's a long answer, but I'm just really terrifically impressed with uh, the cooperation by the different groups to make sure that we were continued to be operational viable, all while trying to support our domestic response through op laser and op vector here domestically in Canada. Yeah, I did hear about those sailors, and I'm so glad that the rest of the crew was safe and and that you know that was handled expeditiously. But it actually speaks to the fact that I'm glad that there's the uptake in vaccinations. Uh, but from a Navy perspective now, has this given you a new approach to pre-deployment preparation? Because as COVID hopefully goes away, I'm wondering if any of the lessons learned might be persistent. Well, one of the things that we've certainly learned is being able to work remotely, that we're actually able to accomplish a lot of training 
and communication and indeed, you know, pre-deployment uh, planning and staff work um, remotely. And I think in ways that were far more effective than in the abstract we would have thought before going through this experience. You know, and a couple of just small examples where um, we're trying to work on uh, some changes in some trades in the Navy to make them better for our sailors. And uh, in the past, it would have taken us a really long time to consult with, you know, the most junior ranks all the way up to the senior ranks because of the requirement to travel and do town halls. And, and, and now we can, on very short notice, just, you know, bring everybody together and whether it's a Zoom or an MS Teams format and, and be able to uh, expose people to what we're thinking and, and have a little bit of a rumble on whether people like it or don't like it and get their input. And so we've seen some really, I think, fantastic changes in the way we communicate that I think will be helpful for us going forward in that we won't be so tied to, you know, in-person travel uh, as an example. I think that's a great example. And uh, I hope that that will also eke out efficiencies. There's got to be a silver lining to all this. So let's hope that that's one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure who originally said it. I've, I've heard this attributed to a bunch of different people, but, you know, never waste a crisis. And so, you know, we really want to get something out of this and make sure we leverage it uh, going forward. I like that, Admiral. I just thought of one other aspect when we were talking about the AOPS and the circumnavigation that uh, that Harry DeWolf will be doing. It made me think about the facility at Nana Civic. Can you give me an update on, on that? Because I think that's a pretty important effort that's being undertaken and will help the Navy in your mission, but I haven't heard much about it lately. Yeah, I would say that that's one of the certainly downsides of the uh, pandemic in terms of, um, um, as you could appreciate, really difficult to get some of the finishing touches done um, at Nana Civic to make that uh, operational from a fueling perspective. And and I think uh, that um, conservatively, I'd say we're seeing at least a year delay to um, getting to where we need to with Nana Civic because of uh, COVID. But having said that, we still have a really good plan plan and uh, we know what we have to do and we're looking forward to getting that jetty uh, operational as uh, soon as possible and you know you'd also appreciate of course uh, that the the season for getting work done up there is much shorter than in the rest of uh, Canada and so um, when you lose a season it takes you another year to recover and be able to work on that we haven't been able to make much progress uh, this year but we're very optimistic that next year will be better for us Let's hope that's the case. And certainly that whole region poses challenges in terms of just distance and, and weather. Absolutely. But speaking about infrastructure, I'm on the West Coast and I see some great work happening at uh, CFBS Guamalt with regards to the new jetties and the new infrastructure that's being put in here. And that will certainly help the fleet of the future. Is there anything that you could care to share about either Halifax or Esquimalt in that regard in terms of how things are coming along? Um, well, yeah, I mean, starting, I guess, with Halifax, um, it was great to see the new jetty finish there now almost two years ago, given that it's already hosting uh, the Harry DeWolf and uh, and Margaret Brooke. And so that was a really great 
addition to the Halifax Dockyard. And of course, as you point out in Esquimalt, there's lots of construction going on so that we can be ready for uh, not only um, the, the third AOPS, which will be going to the West Coast, the Max Bernays, but also for our uh, joint support ship when uh, it eventually uh, ends up there. And then of course, being prepared for the Canadian surface combatant, you know, Esquimalt is a relatively small harbor. And so getting those jetties constructed uh, properly to uh, to house the number of ships that are going to be uh, the Navy's future is really important. And so it's great that that work is going on now so that we'll be able to accommodate the future fleet. So talk to me about the challenges and the focus for the year ahead, Admiral. We're coming out of COVID, uh, hopefully. And what is the focus for you as the commander of the Royal Canadian Navy, but also from a deployment perspective, in addition to obviously what we've talked about regarding AOPS and HMCS Harry DeWolf? Well, if you'd permit me, maybe what I will do is uh, I'll let you know that my priorities, I characterize them with the phrase S3 Charlie, where S3 is three different S's, which I'll go into, and the and the C or the Charlie stands for culture. And so um, as we continue to work through the pandemic, I'll tell you that, you know, the Canadian Armed Forces more broadly and the Royal Canadian Navy, you know, specifically, we're all working tremendously hard to change our culture to address long-standing systemic issues with regards to culture and conduct so that we can create a home for everyone that wants it within the Royal Canadian Navy. And so this uh, is a really important priority for me. I want every sailor to be able to join the Navy and have a terrific work experience throughout the, the life of their career. And that's going to take a lot of work. And, and while I'm commander of the Navy, we're going to keep this on the agenda. And it's going to be one of my highest priorities as we continue to uh, move forward. The S3, um, the first S stands for uh, sailors, public servants and their families. And this is to make sure that we always keep the people side of our business up front and understand that, you know, even if you have the greatest capability in the world, without the right sailors, you're not going to have much of a Navy. So for us, putting people to the people problem, this project Navy uh, generation is a big part of that. We're also monitoring the ops tempo of our sailors and making sure that we have the appropriate policies and, and looking out for our um, public servants and, and making sure that we're, you know, supporting families as well. So that's the first S. And the second S stands for uh, ships and submarines. And we've sort of talked uh, quite a bit about, you know, the future capability that's coming, uh, you know, AOPS, JSS, the Canadian Surface Combatant. And just recently, we've, we're starting to stand up the new Canadian Patrol Submarine Project, which is a really important step for us, um, because as you know, it takes a, an incredibly long time to procure something like a submarine. And so that clock doesn't start ticking into you unlock a door. And, and we've unlocked a door in the sense of standing up this project so that we can start looking at options that we could present to the government of Canada. And then the third S stands for service, which is, it's really about understanding that, um, you know, as uh, sailors, we have a commitment to our country to put, you know, service before self and that we stand for a higher calling and we need to, to be aware of that and uh, be prepared to, to do what our country asks us. And, and part of that is being ready. And so one of my big priorities is making sure that the current fleet, which is also my future fleet, the frigates and the MCDBs and AOPS are ready. And they need to be ready in case we're called upon to, uh, to do something on behalf of the country. And so making sure the ships are at the right level of maintenance, making sure that they have the right combat capability is a really important priority as well. And so 
I would say of those four things, my time gets apportioned um, to to move out on those uh, those priorities. I'm so glad that we got to touch on all of those points. They're all important. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me today here on CDR Radio. It has been a great pleasure. And I'm looking forward to continuing our discussion and learning more about the Navy in the year ahead. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That, my friends, was Vice Admiral Craig Baines, Commander of the Royal Canadian Navy. I would like to thank again our sponsor, Davy Shipbuilding, who can be seen at www.davy.ca. And you can also visit us at CDR Magazine at CanadianDefenseReview.com. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day. Tune in next time for another Canadian Defence Focus podcast from CDR Radio.